0: Welcome to the Rich Feet Podcast with Dr. Tanisha Richmond. This podcast is sponsored by the Richmond Foot and Ankle Clinic, where they specialize in happy feet. Each episode highlights the best of Dr. Richmond's radio show, providing bite-sized clips of advice. Let's jump right into the show. This morning, we want to say good morning to our local podiatrist. And foot specialist Doctor Tanisha Richman. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm wonderful. It's warm outside. It is. It <laughs> is warm outside.
0: It's gorgeous outside. I think everyone yes. is
1: looking forward to this day. Oh yes. With the snow last week, yes. Isn't that interesting?
0: That is Ohio for sure.
1: Yes it is. It is Ohio. This is this is our weather. It's
0: a beautiful day. Yeah. We hope that our listening audience are out there enjoying the day and, and are prepared to listen today and get some great information on what you normally provide for us. Some insight on things that affect our footsteps in life. And the footsteps <laughs> oh, footsteps yes. Today, you know, usually you come with just a variety of, of topics today, but it's interesting that you have a topic that actually affects you directly.
1: Yes. Yes, yes, I do. You know, I haven't really talked about it much because, I mean, having, well, I have MS, which is muscular sclerosis. I was actually diagnosed in, let's see, March of 2015. Mm -hmm. So my first symptom was in December of 2014. I was in New Orleans sitting next to my mother watching the suits. I can remember that and I was sitting there talking to her and my whole right side went numb. And I turned to my mother and I said, "My whole right side just went numb." And she's a nurse, so she told me to smile. And my smile was correct and people of me having a stroke. So that's why we always tell people to smile. If you're feel- if you're having stroke symptoms because if you smile and your smile is crooked, Or half your face isn't moving. That's a sign of a stroke. So I smiled. My smile was normal. And my mom was like, you need to go see a neurologist. Well, go see your primary care doctor when you get back to Dayton. When I went back to Dayton, I saw my primary care doctor, Dr. Marlon Twyman, who's down the street at prime care, prime ed. And he sent me to a neurologist. I saw him once. He did a whole list of tests on me. So I'm back in a month, and I was positive with all the different tests, spinal taps, blood work, MRIs, and I was diagnosed with MS. And I started on my meds probably within a month of that visit, had a relapse on my first med, (laughs) switched doctors to a neurologist at University of Cincinnati, and have been with that doc since then. And Really, no more problems.
0: Well, that's a wonderful thing that you're doing well with it. But for those, Dr. Richmond, that may not be familiar with what multiple sclerosis is or MS, can you share exactly what that is and what that deficiency is?
1: So MS is an autoimmune disorder. So our in MS patients, our immune system attacks our central nervous system. So your central nervous system is from your brain down to your spine. So depending on what parts of your immune system the ms attacks depends on your symptoms like over the years when i go for treatment i'll see people who can't walk i may see people who are in wheelchairs some people who are severely what's called spastic or they can't control their bowels or they can't control their bladder i actually have a patient that went blind from her ms because her lesions are in the optic nerve so it made her go blind Mm -hmm. so my lesions luckily was more with balance and things like that so once my ms was controlled and my immune system was dampened with the medication my symptoms went away and then by me staying on my meds which my doctor told me i'll have to stay on my meds until my 60s they say usually in your 60s, your body just miraculously quits attacking you <laughs> and you just don't need MS meds anymore. But I find in the African-American community, especially the men, don't do as well. Actually my friend, she she was actually in residency here in Dayton and then she did her, her residency in MS, in neurology with a specialty in MS because her brother died from MS. But she told me statistically black men do the worst with MS. Well, it probably mostly compliance with the meds. You know, our meds have a lot of side effects, really bad side effects. But give us an example. Well, there's a thing called PML, which is a brain infection, which basically means so the MS drugs affect your immune system. So they cross over into our blood brain barrier and kill the white blood cells who would attack our central nervous system. Well, PML is an infection where something has been able to cross over, like a bacteria or a virus, and because our immune system is being decreased, dampened, so it doesn't attack us, it may not attack the bacteria or the viruses, which, if it gets in there, it could make you very sick or kill you so but you know my thing was I'm gonna take this risk versus not being able to walk talk take care of myself work I'm gonna take that risk
0: so you mentioned a relapse can you tell us a little bit about that and what that experience was like so the relapse
1: was my whole head went numb (laughs) like I was just sitting there and I couldn't feel my head my face any of that and I called my neurologist. He sent me in for an MRI. He called me and sent me to the hospital after the MRI because one of I had a new lesion, which means it's like a new hot spot. It shows up on your MRI, and for that, they give you either they admit you or they do it outpatient. Three thousand milligrams of steroids, IV. So they did that. That's they did, aggressive treatment. Well, that's pretty much. The treatment for when you have a relapse is to tamper the immune system.
0: And turn it around quickly?
1: Yeah, it calms it down. I I mean, it's like putting a, what you want to, a a rein on a horse. It just, it stops it. However, it has really bad side effects. So I was admitted to the hospital. I had what you call a steroid anger (laughs) because it, you, if you hear about, like, the people who take steroids, abuse them, usually like the the fighters, the wrestlers, they'll kill their wives, they'll kill people, it's because they're taking steroids, and it affects your personality. Because in the hospital, I kept saying, I need a, you know, I want to see a therapist, I want to see a psych, and they're like, you all right, <laughs> it's the steroids, <laughs> And then I'm diabetic, so my sugars were going through the roof, and they were just pumping me with insulin, trying to keep me level, because the, the steroids affect your blood sugar. Well, I was getting a 1,000 milligrams a day. Most people, if you take steroids, you may take one or two milligrams a day, but I was getting it an IV, and I think that's why he put me in the hospital, because of my blood sugars, and it was my first time ever going through that. So that was a new experience. So I was in the hospital for 48 hours. I walked in Friday, discharged Sunday, went back to work Monday. And, and pretty much my symptoms did resolve, but my best friend, who was the neurology resident, told me to switch to University of Cincinnati where she was training. And I've been going to a
0: doctor there for the last,
1: let's see, that was 14, 15,
0: oh, almost seven years. So your story, Dr. Richman, is really remarkable. You have several medical concerns in your life that you're living in, and you (laughs) balance them well. So, you know, so many people talk about you being so transparent and sharing your story. You just have no idea how many people that you're helping. So thank you for that. In dealing with your MS and balancing it, what has been the most difficult part? Well,
1: actually, I've made it through that part. <laughs> that was the acceptance. The acceptance. So that was the
0: most difficult part.
1: Yeah, it was acceptance. And then it was understanding the disease, understanding the prognosis. Because if you go with media, the media, if they say MS, the person's bed bound, they're in a wheelchair, they're about to die. You know, you, until you live with the disease and then you, you, work with your doctors, you see other people, you meet other people with the same disease, you start to understand that your prognosis is not what you see on TV. So that was the hardest part was and then I had to learn about the disease, learn the medications, the I mean I did a deep dive to understand the prognosis and talk to my doctors like there was some celebrity who came out and she was walking bad. All her problems, and my my NP specialist, which is my neurology specialist, had to let me know you are not that person. You don't know how soon she got treatment. You don't know if she took her treatment. <laughs> you know, you don't know if she was on drugs prior to that. Because like once I was diagnosed, I changed my whole lifestyle. I changed my diet. I do Pilates. I mean, I do so many things to control and keep the ms under control but you don't know what other people are willing to do like i've been i've had it with six seven years i missed one dose when my grandmother died because i wasn't here but as soon as i landed back into Dayton, i went and got my treatment but you don't know how dedicated people are to taking care of themselves
0: well, Doctor Richmond, talk to us a little bit about you. You mentioned that you changed your diet. So, what are some of the things that those that are dealing with MS and that have it should be eating? Or what's your lifestyle like while dealing with this medical condition?
1: Well, I watched a show called What the Health on Netflix, and it kept mentioning MS and immune and immunity and inflammation in the body. And it kept talking about eating meat, so actually I did not eat meat for about three or four years. I went straight to just uh, meat, veg. I mean, not veg, meat, <laughs> vegetables and seafood. No meat. I did slowly go back into meat, and I haven't had a problem. But that's one of the things I changed. I was doing massages more because one of the side effects of MS can be spasticity. I do Pilates. Which is a form of, it's a form of exercise and physical therapy, but Pilates, you work more your core muscles, and I work one-on-one with a trainer, so I work more my core muscles, the muscles in my legs, work on balance, gait, uh, stability, things like that. One of the things we have to do as MS patients, we take high doses of vitamin D, staying up on your vitamin D, but As an MS patient, they basically just tell you to take care of yourself. Any other health problems, you need to address that as well because your body is dealing with the MS. So if you have other health problems that are uncontrolled, it can exacerbate your MS or make it worse. So it's more just being more holistic, taking care of yourself, working on your stress. Believers finding ways to decrease your stress. You know, when I first was diagnosed, I actually did therapy with actually a therapist who had MS for a couple years. So it's just, but you have to, like I talk about with diabetes, any other condition, you have to accept it. You can't deny it. You can't pray it away, but you have to accept your diagnosis. You have to take your medications you have to do your testing you have to keep up with your doctor's appointments and you have to become an active member of your care you can't sit back and blame everyone for everything that's wrong with you especially if you're not taking your meds
0: (laughs) and why dr richmond have you found because you obviously give prescriptions out for various things relative to the feed and other things. So why is it that so many struggle with taking their meds that they don't put it into their daily plan? It's not a part of what they do. They forget don't want to. What do you find the reason is?
1: Most of it I think it's just mistrust of health care in general. They just feel like you just give me this drug to make money. I don't really need it. <laughs> I could drink some lemon juice. And cure or like, you know, a gout, I could drink some cherry juice and cure whatever it is, or you know, I could watch this video on YouTube and cure. I don't need this medication. And I think most of it is still mistrust of healthcare overall, the entire system. They just feel like, I mean, I think I have more of a trust with my patients because of the relationships, but then it's also my race, you know, cause I'm African-American, cause I look like them. You have the trust, but when you, lots of patients deal with other races, other ethnicities. And then there's also the issues of, you know, do they have an accent? Can they understand the, can they understand what their physician is saying? Or does the physician explain it on a level that they can understand what they're saying? Have they un- Has the physician understood that he's not talking to another physician? He's not talking to someone who went to medical school. He's talking to a person with no medical experience. So those are all the different factors that come into play. But I think a lot of it is just mistrust of just health care in general.
0: So when you say mistrust, then what do you suggest or would you suggest that that they do to make sure even though there may be that mistrust but they still have to take care of themselves they still have to take their meds so what are some ways they can get through that process to at least make sure that they're okay
1: talking to their doctors talking to their nurses reading on their own you know sometimes i say don't go to google but some things you can go to google like to learn Type 2 diabetes. What is type 2 diabetes? What is, what causes it? What treats it? And then like learning diet and things like that. You know, I work with diabetes Dayton here in Dayton. When patients come to me and their sugars are out of control, their A1C, I had a lady the other day, her A1C was 13. So I referred her to diabetes Dayton for a dietitian, diabetes education, but the thing that patients have to understand, they have to learn their disease as well. They just can't expect the physician to wave a wand and cure them of their issues. They have to learn what is diabetes, what is high blood pressure. I mean, I was telling a patient that genetically, African-Americans, we retain more salt. Genetically, we carry more salt, which makes us more prone to have high blood pressure. So you have to start looking at your diet. Where you adding? If you're adding salt, you need to stop or change your diet. Where you're cooking with less salt, or check which when you cook how much salt's in your food. So it's things you have to do as a person. And one beautiful thing about Dayton is we have tons of health fairs, and they actually are starting to restart. So coming out to the different health fairs, going to the different talking to the different people about the different issues. There's usually at the health fairs topics tables on any topic you want to talk about. So, but it's it's asking questions. Like they always said there's no stupid questions. Ask the question because they may the person talking to you may not under, understand or even know you don't understand what they're talking about. But once you ask that question, mm-hmm. then we can rephrase it or Give you some literature or send you to a site where you can do a deep dive on your own time. So, it but it's it's got to be a two way street. You have to let us know. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> what you talking about? But you have to tell us because we're like we're thinking. Oh, she got it. She got it. And They like mm. <laughs> But you don't really have it. I
0: see. Yeah. I see. So what are some of the other ways when we talk about health challenges that people may face and things that they deal with and also you are faced with diabetes as well. So in balancing the two various uh, various diseases or medical conditions that you have, what are some things you do to help balance that out with diabetes? And again, it's, you mentioned watching your diet. Well, it's,
1: yeah, it's just a lifestyle change. You know, I tell patients... Well, one thing that I remember the nurse told me when I was diagnosed with diabetes back in 2001, that your life will change. You are a different person from this day forth, and you're not going on a diet. You're going on a lifestyle change, and that stuck with me. But fortunately, I was in medical school learning about diabetes and every the ins and outs and meds and everything I could ever learn about a disease I was in school learning. So I paid special attention to you know anything that had to do with diabetes. And then over the years, you know, going to talks and speeches and workshops and different things, I've I've continually picked up on, you know, medications, the latest and greatest in technology, um, and things like that. But one thing I always tell patients, that your diabetes is 24-7, 365 days a year. It's every time you put something in your mouth, you're making a decision about your diabetes. And I, I try to help patients, especially my more uncontrolled patients. You know, I, I have a refrigerator in my office that I keep stocked with You know, my flavored waters, my sugar-free, everything's sugar-free in my fridge. My sugar-free waters, my sugar-free teas, even when I have to have a Coke, it's (laughs) sugar-free. I have sugar-free candy, sugar-free treats, or lower-carb treats in my office for me. So when I want something, it's easily accessible. And I tell patients that you have to switch over to sugar-free or water for what you drink, and they want to oh, I me mean, run up my no, 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 <laughs> sugar free. <laughs> Unless you just want to drink water all day, put a little juice, you know, put a little lemon in it. <laughs> and I've
0: discovered there are some really, you know, very tasting sugar free treats.
1: Oh yes, I have them. I give them to the patients, especially um, when we start arguing about the sugar free waters. I actually go to my fridge and give them one of my waters and actually one of my patients came back and he had tried like five or six flavors. So he was so excited, the sugars were coming down because lots of times what's raising them is what's, what they're drinking and they don't understand the concept that juice has sugar in it. Orange juice has sugar in it. Any Anything that does not say sugar-free has sugar in it. So I think they're doing good by drinking juice but that's usually loaded with sugar. So, and then that's when I start talking to them about: Have you ever talked to a dietitian? Have you ever been to a diabetes class? And that's when I try to start doing referrals. So send them to diabetes educators and dietitians, because I understand, you know, being a diabetic now 21 years. I mean, it's it's a lot to learn, but you have to learn it, because otherwise diabetes would just kill you. And I see that all the time. I actually saw one of my patients who's a diabetic. Her son was a diabetic. He died last year around Valentine's. And we were talking about him. And I was telling her, you know, that I, every time I see you, I think of him. And, you know, and we were really close friends and he was a wound patient. So I saw him weekly and we would, you know, chit chat and talk about things and you know, talk about diet and trying to control his diabetes. Because before he died, I think he had had a heart attack. He had a stroke. He was going into kidney failure. And unfortunately for me, I know usually the path. It, it, you know, it usually ends, you know, with something catastrophic. But, you know, my goal as a doctor is to keep my patients, you know, alive.
0: And feeling healthy and enjoying life and feeling comfortable as best as they can while while they're on this earth. And keeping their feet. <laughs> and keeping their
1: feet. You <laughs> say what? Well, statistically, if they lose their feet, then they increase in their chance of death, too. So it's, it's, it's multifactorial. But my goal, ultimately, is to help them control their diabetes, which will help prevent all these complications.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. When you talk about footsteps for life, just in general, tell us a little bit about what that means to you. And of course, we do have different ones asking us, so we're going to go ahead. Before you answer that, we'll share a little bit about your story and your your services that you have at Richmond Foot and Ankle, Ankle Clinic, located at thirteen twenty three West Third Street. That is West Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Wade, Dayton, Ohio, 45402. Just a couple blocks up the street from the WDA Radio Studios. The number is 937-228-3668. Your email, uh, for those of you that have questions or comments, is richfeet1 at gmail.com. That's richfeet, the number one, at gmail.com. And your website is richfeet.org. Tell us a little bit about... Dr. Richmond, some of the services that you provide, your telehealth appointment, your patient portal, you have your podcast. I mean, you've got a of things going on. <laughs> well, okay, so we
1: have a foot spa on site. We recently did have to increase prices during the cost, so it's now $30. So that is a private foot spa. It's done by our medical assistants. You get your feet scrubbed, massaged with pumice stone scrub, pumice stone, a pumice stone massage. And then we come in, the physicians, the podiatrists will come in, trim your nails or calluses. And that's done in a private room with your own music. And then on site, we do have x-ray. We do dispense like walking boots, ankle braces, orthotics. We send out for custom orthotics as well. We do diabetic shoes on site. We do vascular studies where we'll check your blood flow on your legs. Especially for our diabetics, our smokers, dialysis patients, or any patients that are complaining of swelling, cramping, charley horses, things like that. We do have a device called the ARP Neurotherapy that treats all kinds of forms of neuropathy, numbness, tingling, burning, all forms of any really any form of pain. So tendinitis, things of that nature. is covered by some insurances, not all. So you would need to call to get the complete list of insurances that it is covered. And then we also have packages if it's not covered. Let's see, we have a store on site. So we do, we have, we sell diabetic socks, compression socks. We have flip-flops as well as like house shoes that have orthotics built in them that you can wear around the house or wear outside that give you support while letting you be, you know, have your feet out. And then we also have like antifungal toenail polish, hammer toe pads, (laughs) bunion pads, bunion shields.
0: (laughs) Well, let's talk about the hammer toe pads and bunion shields, if you will. What have they designed to actually do. So the bunion shield
1: is designed to protect the bunion in the foot, in the shoe. So like in a bunion, the bone is sticking out of the shoe. So the bunion shields are made of silicone. So when you put that over the the bone, the tissue, it prevents it from rubbing. So especially like in a diabetic or someone that's got to wear like a steel toe shoe that's made out of leather, that bunion's going to rub. So that just gives it like a shield. To protect it. The hammer toe pads depending on the style can either like straighten the toe or they can protect like the bony prominence of the toe. Like people come in, I got corns and calluses I said because you have a hammer toe so it rubs. So I have shields that you can slide over the toe so it won't rub in your shoe. So I have all those different things and oh, I have antifungal medication for toenail fungus and athlete's foot.
0: So, is there a point, Dr. Richmond, where the bunion can get worse and and protrude out further and further and further? Well, they evolve.
1: So, generally the question I ask people when they come in, well, first I look at the age of the patient. So, you can have juvenile bunions. I've had kids in high school and middle school with bunions. So statistically, they're going to have a really bad bunion later in life because the body has time to evolve that bunion. So things can have more time to shift and move versus an 80-year-old with a mild bunion. I'm like, it's going to be all right. <laughs> it's not going to change much. <laughs> or an 80-year-old with a bunion with heart disease, diabetes, <laughs> no. So is it the shoes <laughs> that that one could be wearing that causes that bunion to well, Yes, it could be shoes and it could be genetics. It could just be your mom and daddy. Because I always say, what does your parents' feet look like? Does your mama have a bad bunion? Does your daddy have a bad bunion? And lots of times they say, well, my daddy got a bunion, but my mama don't have a bunion. Was your daddy bunion like crossing over, you know, making crosses? No, it's not that bad. That's probably how bad your bunion will get. But then it could be like people who wear shoes that are too tight. Like a lot of the celebrities, they have bad feet because they're always wearing cute shoes that squish their feet. So over time, their foot has molded to those shoes. So it just kind of depends on where it's coming from. But usually the prognosis is the age of the patient. So if you're coming in in your late 60s, 70s, complaining about a bunion, you statistically may only live another 20 to 30 years or less depending on your health statistically that bunion probably won't get much worse and then we have to look at the health of the patient because bunion surgery you have to be put to sleep so we have to look at you and say okay can you withstand anesthesia or can you even get clearance to be put to sleep because depending on your age you have to get cardiac clearance which means you have to be seen by a cardiologist And they have to say, it's okay for you to have surgery. So it's a lot of factors, not just saying, I want it done. And then also you have to be off your feet for four to six weeks. You have to be able to be in a house where you can get to the bathroom or you can get to your bed. You know, you have to look at things like that. So it's not just like getting your teeth pulled or something. (laughs) It's more complicated than that.
0: I see. and so. When it comes to this time of year, especially on days like today, you know, many of our feet have been covered in boots and gym shoes, just covered, not aired <laughs> out. not yes. You know, able to get this beautiful air today. So many may be wearing open toe shoes, flip flops, and that kind of thing. Talk to us a little bit about what we should be doing now that we can air them out. So it's today. <laughs>
1: so you should be looking at them, looking between your toes, looking at the bottoms of your feet especially if your feet are peeling look at the peeling so an athlete's foot the peeling peels in circles so it scales and you'll have little peels of little teeny weeny circles all over your feet sometimes between your toes it may become white in there especially between your pinky toe and your fourth toe it gets white icky stinky and if it's green you have a particular form of bacteria that we really can only kill with antibiotics and then if you're having a lot of odor, that's another sign of it could be athlete's foot. It could be a bacterial infection. So those are different reasons to come in, especially when I we talk about the interdigital, which is the white, crusty, icky web spaces. We need to culture those and see what's living in there because some most of the time we have to put you on antibiotics and antiviral because you have two different creatures <laughs> living in between your toes so now it's just inspecting your feet looking at your nails, looking at your skin and looking between your toes to see what's going on in there
0: I see so like when we talk about keeping the moisture, you've talked about that before, dryness that comes, especially in the winter time so today, should we get into the lotions and you, you mentioned the Vaseline and you even said that other kind Crisco, I <laughs> You really, Dr. Richmond, don't want them to use crystal or lard, do you? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> don't put it between your toes. <laughs> and, and toes, why not between your toes? Why not put the lotion? And because when you, when your you put
1: your shoes on, it closes up. So that moisture stays in there and the bacteria and fungus move in. So you would creating them a nice little sauna <laughs> to live The only time you put something between your toes is when we prescribe something and say, put that between your toes. Otherwise,
0: it's outside of those. Yes,
1: it's the bottom and sides of your feet.
0: Okay. (laughs) And someone's asking offline here about, should we massage our feet after we've been walking on our feet all day or uh, just they we've been closed in? And they also want to know exactly what do you recommend in terms of pain for the feet?
1: Depends on the pain, (laughs) but massages are fine because massages actually would help with blood flow, getting blood flow to the feet. Now, pain, they have to be more descriptive on pain. So when we talk about pain with a patient, we always give them the list. So is it numbness, tingling, burning or aching, throbbing? And then where is the pain? Like I had a patient come in. She was an older lady. She was postmenopausal. She had pain in one place, her great big toe. So that made me think more of gout because she was postmenopausal and it was only one place, her big toe, which is the most common place for for gout. So I did x-rays. The x-rays were normal, but I sent her out to get blood work so I could check her uric acid levels. Now, if a patient comes in and they say my feet are burning, they feel like they're on fire, then I'm thinking more diabetes or bulging disc in the back. But the bulging discs would be, they're only in fire on one part of my foot. So I would then think more bulging disc. So it kind of depends. They have to get more specific. <laughs> or they'll say, my heels hurt. So then I'm thinking more heel pain, plantar fasciitis. So if they, when people say that, they, that's why we have to ask so many questions to the patient, you know, well, what other health problems do you have? Do you have a bulging disc in your back? Are you diabetic? Have you been on chemo? So, you know, it's not just as simple as saying, my foot hurt. <laughs> I need a whole bunch of information to figure out why your foot hurts.
0: And that makes sense. But you mentioned so many things to distinguish. <laughs> yeah. You know, pain? <laughs> is it throbbing? Is it aching? Is it painful? I mean, this they are distinctive. And I do understand. Uh, yes, it's, it's different.
1: That's the way I train my M.A.s. I said, when someone says pain, you ask that statement. Is it numbness, tingling, burning, or aching, throbbing? That helps to, that puts a line between the types of pain. Then we have to figure out where it's coming from.
0: You mentioned that when you people watch, when you're traveling or when you're just sitting and relaxing, that you can just about tell where the pain is based on how they walk. You know have like some walk with the limb, some walk with just because of the aching of the hip or the foot. So over time though, what happens to that individual that walks like with the dependency on one side because the other side hurts? Whether it's something wrong with the toe, the heel, or just the flat part of the foot, or like you mentioned, the platter. Fresh fasciitis. Fasciitis, <laughs> that
1: thing. So, yes,
0: heel <laughs> pain. Heel <Hill> pain, Yes. <laughs> That that technical word you just said. Yes. So help us understand
1: that. Well, the body will evolve. So the body is like your car. So if one tire goes flat, the pressure goes to the other three tires. And you won't drive as smoothly, but you, you could drive for a little while. So the same thing happens to the body. So if you are splinting and putting all your pressure on one side, eventually the muscles of the other side may become weak. They may become not get used as much. Like you see in a patient who's like a paraplegic or a quad. Mm -hmm. You ever notice how thin their legs are? Because they've atrophied because they haven't used them. Or like a patient with a stroke. Lots of times I can tell, you know, you've had a stroke because everything is limp on one side. They're dragging the arm, the leg. Sometimes even the face is twisted. So I can tell by their gait kind of what's going on and then you just kind of our main training is watching from the back we watch your hips and see if they're in alignment if one is dropping lower than the other so it's it's a lot with what's called gait analysis you can sit and just watch people and try Mm -hmm. to figure out what's caused what muscles are not working what tendons are not working to figure out what's going on with their feet
0: okay and so once the individual determines what the issue is with their feet and they come to you and you give them the diagnosis you give them their prescriptions and that's why what the treatment is how important is to follow-up and follow through is it at that point where you say okay now i've given you the direction from here you need to (laughs) well it's very
1: it's very important to follow up because it may not work what i give you or Well, most of the time, especially with heel pain, heel pain is a journey. (laughs) Heel pain is probably one of the longest treatment plans we have for pain. Because generally, we start off with heel pain, we'll start off with stretching, we'll give you topical pain creams. If your insurance will cover it, we'll give you orthotics, which support the tissue in your shoe, or we'll discuss them with you. Then we'll have you come back in a month. And then we're talking about injections, night splints, taping, physical therapy. And people always ask, you know, then they want to jump straight to surgery. But insurances won't allow you to jump straight to surgery unless you've tried multiple alternatives. So that's why we go down the list of options. And that's with pretty much every form of surgery, unless it's life-threatening. You know, they're going to try conservative options first to see, okay, let's try an injection. Let's try physical therapy. Let's try taping. So, you know, but but I don't know if any of that worked If you didn't come back to tell me, okay, that didn't work, or it gave me a little bit of relief, but, you know, I'm going to this wedding next week, and I don't want to be in no pain. Well, that's a different discussion. Then you need an injection if you want to stop today. So, you know, so that's why we have follow-up, so we can talk and figure out, okay, did this help, did this help, or it didn't help, or I need to add this, (laughs) change this, so... That's the purpose of the follow-ups.
0: So if there's one out there that says, you know what, Dr. Richmond, I've never been to you before. I want to come to you. I don't know if you accept my insurance, but what are my other alternatives if you don't? Because I would like for you to treat my condition.
1: Well, we have cash options. So depending on what exactly is going on with you, the staff would have a discussion with you. You know, what initial visit costs, you know, what are you wanting done this visit or what do you think? you want done and then we just have a, a honest discussion with you. As far as new patient visits, I say give yourself at least two hours. And people always say, you know, why it takes so long? This is not Burger King. <laughs> You can't have it your way. And most people aren't that simple. They think they're simple, but they're not that simple. So, you know, you're coming in, you're filling out paperwork, then you have to, to be, go to the back. The MAs have to ask you a lot of questions. Why are they asking you all these questions? Because it helps me with my detective work, like when we talked about pain.
0: Yes.
1: So if she tells me this patient's having pain in her feet, she's a diabetic, she's had chemo. And she got problems with her thyroid. Then I understand, okay, the neuropathy, the tingling, the burning is coming from those disease processes. Or she tells me this person has pain and they told me they've had five back surgeries. Then that tells me, oh, your pain is coming from your lower back. It's sending signals to your feet. So your treatments may be different or the discussion is going to be different from the discussion I'm gonna have with this diabetic. So that's why we have to that's why my staff has to ask all those questions. Cause it as a as a doctor and a detective, it gives me info that I can then kinda of say, okay, I think this person foot tingled cause she got five back surgeries and she probably needs to see a surgeon for a spinal stimulator because her back is to the point of no return. <laughs> Versus Oh, let's start her off on this, a vitamin, and ramp up. Because if you have had five back surgeries, you're in a different place from a person who just started having neuropathy. So, you know, so that's why it takes so long. And then she may say, well, then I got this bunion. So that's an x-ray. That's more time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then she may say, well, my legs cramp up every time I walk. That could be an ABI. That's more time. So it just depends on what the person comes in with and what they tell us. So it could be a five-minute appointment or it could be a two-hour appointment. It depends on the person's issues.
0: I see. That's very interesting. And thank you for being so thorough and detailed about that, Dr. Richmond. So I know it's important to explain the process to many for those that may not be familiar. They've never set up an appointment with you. What is that process?
1: Calling in, giving us your information. If you have your insurance card on with you, that's helpful to give us your numbers on the spot. Therefore, we can have your insurance verified, make sure everything is good. But when you do come, you do have to come with your insurance card and a form of ID. Even if it's expired, that's fine. We need... Dr. Richmond. you take expired... uh, Well, I mean, I have like 90-year-olds who, you know, (laughs) they're not driving anymore. But I mean, we just need identification to legal ID to prove who you are. Because patients will show up with nothing. And they get turned around, and they're mad and upset, and we're like, we told you... (laughs) You have to come with some form of identification because the insurance companies, if, they're ever, if we're ever audited, they want to be sure that they're paying claims on the right person, mm-hmm. not someone's cousin or sister or whoever. So that's why we, especially if you are Medicare, we have to have your ID, but all patients, we have to have some form of identification, pro- proving who you are and your insurance card. Even if you got a printout of your insurance card with your ID and everything, we can work with that. But we have to have it because some, a lot of insurance, especially Medicare will not give us information because of so much fraud and different things. So we, those are two things we have to have. Medications, if you have them, that's great. But lots of times our software, software will download it into our EMR. So you, you don't necessarily need your medications, but if you have them, We need to know your allergies. That's very important, especially with antibiotics, because we need to know what you're allergic to, what you've had reactions to in the past. So I'm sure not to give you anything that can cause a reaction. And another thing that patients need to let us know if you are going into, if you have kidney issues or liver issues, because those are the two systems that clear drugs. And most drugs are cleared by your kidney. So we need to know if you're been told you're on your way to dialysis or if you're on dialysis that's something we really need to know
0: okay that's very interesting so thank you for that detailed information so we started the show um (laughs) it's hard to believe that hour has come around it goes so fast but we started the show talking about a condition that's very very familiar in the African-American community and also very real and personal with you because you actually experience and suffer and deal with and handle MS. So just in a recap, let's talk a little bit about MS and what you suggest the one to do if they were to come up with any of the symptoms that you
1: have. So I would say if you start having symptoms is this most people like say they're starting to fall they start dropping things you can have change in vision but it's all neurological things but the first thing i would say is to google (laughs) your symptoms and then if you see you have multiple symptoms then you need to talk to your primary care physician or if you already see a neurologist talk to them about it and and be diligent. If you continue to have symptoms and people aren't listening to your, be diligent with your care. Because I have heard of, especially women, African-American women, taking years to get diagnosed. And that's what causes a lot of the long-term issues is the time from diagnosis to treatment. I was treated, I was on meds probably within three to four months of my diagnosis. And I've never not been on meds since. So, you know, I had to be aggressive. I had to do all the tests. I had to follow up with my doctors and do all the MRIs and all the testing and all the blood work so I could give them the data so they could say, okay, stay on this med or we're going to switch it or we're going to do this. So you have to be, you know, you have to be active in your care and aggressive and advocate for yourself.
0: You need your own health advocate.
1: Yes. You have to be an advocate for yourself.
0: All right, Dr. Uh, Richmond, we certainly thank you. You're located at 1323 West 3rd Street. Your number is 937-228-3668. You're open Monday through Friday. 840 to 5. All right, close <laughs> Saturday and Sunday. You enjoyed this weekend. Dr. Richmond, you will be back here in the WDAL studios in May, and that will be May the 28th, the fourth Saturday of the month. And so we will look forward to having you back then. Any <laughs> closing comments? Oh, I forgot.
1: May 7th, I will be at Indulge. I will have a table. So that's at the Montgomery County Fairgrounds. I think it's from 12 to 6. So I'll have a table from the office as well as a table of all my shirts and sweatshirts and masks. But it's going to be over 100 vendors. It's going to be an awesome thing. And it's free to the public. So they should come out and shop. No cost
0: to get in and you will be there. Mm -hmm. They need to come and
1: see you. Come see us all. And
0: shop till you drop. (laughs) All right. Sounds great, Dr. Richmond. Thanks again so much. We'll look forward to having you back here on uh, May the 28th. You enjoy this fabulous weekend. All right. We hope you enjoyed today's show with Dr. Richmond. Sponsored by the Richmond Foot and Ankle Clinic, the clinic is located at 1323 West 3rd Street in Dayton, Ohio. Zip code 45402. To book an appointment, call 937 228 3668. Or you can learn more at richfeet.org.